You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. September is Transit Month. There are ride contests, prizes, high praise of the city's system. But it's no secret that it can be slow or unreliable sometimes. Transit advocates and the city's transportation department know this. We'll hear how they want to try and bring the system out of the pandemic in its best possible form. We've known for decades that Muni has been growing increasingly slow, increasingly unreliable, increasingly crowded, and that so many of the goals that we're trying to achieve in San Francisco require a far better Muni system than we had back in 2019. We can't do transit to work day because there's not enough transit to serve everybody to get on the bus. You know, we can't, so we have to spread it out over a week or a month and make it like it can't just be about getting everybody on the bus all at once because there's no room. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Hello there. Civic is officially back from its hiatus. Thanks to those of you who gave your feedback and responded to our survey. It really helped us figure out how we're going to tackle our new beginning. In our third year, we are changing things up a bit. We want the shows we put out to be the best they can possibly be, so we'll be publishing just once a week from now on. New episodes drop Thursdays, and we hope you can hear that we're investing that extra time into the sound quality, into selecting only the best highlights from our interviews, and teasing out the details of the topics we get into in the clearest, most concise, and plain English way that we can. Hope you like what we have for you. I think they're going to be great shows. So, let's talk about transit. Kathy Seishan showed up at 24th and Church Streets at 8 a.m. last Wednesday wearing a hand-stenciled shirt that read Restore the J with the Light Rail Line logo. She was waiting for the train with Supervisor Raphael Mandelman and a small entourage to participate in a ride-along event organized by a group called the San Francisco Transit Riders. In fact, supervisors all over the city were catching buses and trains that morning. They would meet up in front of City Hall for a rally to hype up Transit Month and public transportation in general. Kathy was drawing attention to a problem for residents with mobility limitations. The J has been taking people from our neighborhood to downtown since 1917. And all of a sudden, Muni decided to stop doing that. They used COVID as the perfect opportunity to, what they said, temporarily stop it and force people to transfer at Market Street. They said it was to try to speed up the trains but it imposes a huge impediment to people like myself who are, as you can see, I'm using a walker, and to seniors and to families with children and to many other people to be forced to transfer. The trip route is a little over two miles long, and it took us about an hour to make. We didn't have to wait long for a train, but boarding and offboarding took some doing. Kathy wanted to take the F streetcar down market. It's also possible to take an elevator down to the underground platform and transfer to one of those lines. There was confusion about that because a rider checked on the elevator and misinterpreted a sign about an elevator outage at a different platform to mean that this elevator was out of service. Anyway, we could have waited for a bus too, but as it happened, the F was the first line to show up. There are these lifting platforms for mobility device users to board the tram. But this requires the operator to pull out a folding ramp to bridge the gap between the platform and the tram. The operator obviously handled this like a pro, but it's a process. Then we got to market in Van Ness, a few blocks away from our ultimate destination of City Hall. That's too long a walk for Kathy. 
We looked for the 49 or the 47 to transfer to to get up Van Ness, and... Do we know where the stop is? Yeah, we're trying to find one, but there's, I don't think there's oh, a bus. Oh, I see a scaffolding. Yeah. Okay. We also got stuck in the middle of the intersection because it took us too long to cross. And we would have missed the next bus had the operator not pulled over specifically for Kathy. Then it was a quick ride to City Hall. And with all that behind her, Kathy was not going to attend the rally. She was going to head home, but not on public transit. I absolutely cannot do that whole thing. I have a ride coming. That's right. For some reason, they are tone deaf to the idea that there are other factors in addition to speed. And so we're obviously going to have to continue to push that. Plus, they have not engaged the community in a discussion of the relative values of speed, accessibility, convenience, comfort, being able to get a seat. All of those safety, all of those things are factors. Okay, so not an ideal experience. Also, not everyone's experience. I heard one supervisor had to be held back from getting on the first bus that showed up because that group would have gotten to City Hall too early. But it does illustrate a problem for riders who use mobility devices. This is um, one of the core tensions that we're facing. To Hmm. what degree do we invest in making Muni faster, more frequent, and more reliable, and accommodating transfers as part of that, Mm -hmm. versus providing a one-seat ride from everywhere to everywhere minimizing transfers and minimizing walking distance, but as a result, also having to cut frequency and reliability in order to do so. This is the core tension that every single transit service suffers from, and there's no correct technical answer. That's Jeffrey Tumlin, director of the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. We talked later in the week about the way that Muni has prioritized service. This transfer from the J onto a line that runs down market is a pandemic-era service change. Before the pandemic, the J would go up to Church and Dubose and then run underground along market. So the J doesn't go into the subway anymore because of the necessity of providing more capacity, more frequency, and more reliability in the subway. We suffer from an antiquated 1990s train control system that frequently goes down, and when it does, it needs to be reloaded on a you know five and three quarter inch floppy disk. Um, floppy disk. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So our subway system can't handle efficiently five different train lines coming in at three different portals. We took care of the train control system problems by simplifying the subway, even for J Church riders who have to transfer. The travel time from 30th and Church all the way to Embarcadero, including having to walk across the street, including having to go downstairs, including having to wait for a train, that travel time is six minutes faster because things are so much more reliable. But that said, it does create specific issues for people having to transfer, particularly people with mobility impairments. So we're continuing to evaluate the J Church transfer. We know that there are things that we can do in terms of redesigning the intersection to make those crossings better. We also know that we need to upgrade the elevators at Church Street Station, just as we're doing at Castro Station, in order to provide redundancy and to make that elevator transfer a lot easier. We also know that for folks, for whatever reason, if they don't like the transfer to the M and the T trains at Church, 
They can also transfer to the N trains um, at Church and DeBose. None of those is perfect. The distances are short. And we think that there are probably, you know, a dozen small tweaks that we can make to those intersections in order to make those transfers easier for the folks who, who have to make them. Muni had to make severe cuts and change service multiple times during the pandemic because revenue tanked. And even before the pandemic, Muni needed improvements, major improvements. We were gearing up in December, January, and into February to move forward with some significant enhancements to pre-COVID Muni service. And then, of course, COVID hit and wiped all of that out. We've known for decades that Muni has been growing increasingly slow, increasingly unreliable, increasingly crowded, and that so many of the goals that we're trying to achieve in San Francisco require a far better Muni system than we had back in 2019. If our goal is addressing climate change, 47% of San Francisco's greenhouse gas emissions are from the transportation sector, mostly individuals driving in cars and trucks. And we need to deliver great transit service in order to make it possible to get around San Francisco without having to burn carbon. We know that transit is what unlocks opportunity. And if we want to create opportunities for San Franciscans, and especially if we want to correct for the opportunities that we've stripped away from San Franciscans of color, we need to invest in making sure that all San Franciscans, and particularly San Franciscans with the fewest mobility choices, have expanded access to jobs and education and to the opportunities that are necessary to thrive in a changing economy. We know that if San Francisco wants to continue to grow its economy in order to be able to fund better social services, that transit is the most cost-effective way to unlock economic potential without destroying the city's quality of life. We need a better transit system. And in order to get that, we, back in 2019, needed more funding. And now, more than ever, we need to find a strong and sustainable financial base for how to create the great transit system that San Francisco needs. The SFMTA is set up as an enterprise agency. We're a city department, but we're required to be on our own for funding. Our three biggest sources of revenue that fund everything that we do are transit fares, parking fees, and a fixed set aside that we get from the city's general fund. And that's basically what we're required to make do with. Unfortunately, two of our most important sources of revenue have been in steady decline for many, many years. Uber and Lyft have been eating our parking revenue. You know, when it's cheaper mm -hmm. to take Uber and Lyft than it is to drive and park in a SFMTA garage, people take Uber and Lyft. So we have right. empty garages now that are cutting into our ability to fund Muni. Similarly, on the Muni side, we have a deep commitment to social equity. We want to make sure that everyone can afford to be able to use transit to get to the grocery store, to get to the dentist, to get to work, to have a full life as a resident of San Francisco. And so we've been steadily trying to provide deeper discounts to people who need them, whether it's because of age or ability or income. Uh, about a third of San Franciscans now are eligible for free or deeply discounted muni passes. And we're really, really proud of that 
but it also means that our transit fare revenue is declining every year relative to our expenses. And I think that's another important point to realize is that the cost of delivering the uni service rises every year with the cost of living. Our expenses are driven by our people and we have to pay our workers a living wage. And so our expenses rise with the cost of living while our revenues at best rise with inflation and are mostly actually declining relative to inflation. So every year that gap grows. And historically, we've papered over that gap by gutting maintenance. The reason why Muni has been unreliable is because we've continued to defund maintenance in order to try to deliver more actual transit service than we can afford. You know, we've always been at this kind of tenuous breaking point of, you know, papering over the gap and cutting here and slashing this and that. COVID made it impossible for us to fake our way out of the problem because the loss of revenue was so dire. We, during most of COVID, lost about 100% of our transit revenue. We're, we're back to an 80% loss of transit revenue, mm-hmm. and we're at about a 40% loss of parking revenue. And we're expecting those revenue losses to last at least through 2025. And our biggest problem, actually, is not that people are not coming back to Muni. If you take Muni on the weekends or midday or during the morning school rush, our buses are packed. Mm -hmm. The problem is that all of those giant office buildings in downtown San Francisco are empty. Downtown San Francisco was by far our biggest source of ridership. And what the controller's office and the Bay Area Council and all of our downtown employers are telling us is we're expecting those office buildings to be nearly completely empty through the end of this year. And we should expect for the next couple of years, a 40% loss in travel for you know, office workers into the downtown, which means a long-term 40% loss of both parking and transit fare revenue. And this makes Muni unique among transit agencies because of the unique way in which we're funded. We have been hit harder by COVID than just about any other transportation agency. And we need to prepare for long-term losses while at the same time finding new sustainable sources of revenue that make us less dependent upon the fare box. So that's our fight. So it's no secret that Muni needs money. And it's probably no surprise that at the Transit Month rally, everyone was talking about the need for funding. Here's Gwyneth Borden, chair of the SFMTA Board of Directors, which is Muni's oversight body. The biggest challenge public transit has is it's not as sexy as so many other areas and it's very costly. <laughs> it's sexy to me, but it's very costly <laughs> to, to support, especially to keep the, maintain the reliability and the service. We want to bring back as much service in all the lines that we can, but it's crucial because COVID really battered our revenue sources, and we really increasingly depend on the general fund. We don't have the advantage of generating most of our revenue from transit fares, and that's probably a good thing, but that means it's more critical that we need your support. We need all of our elected leadership, everyone in the public, the transit riders, and everyone to help champion us for a future that we can provide the visionary transportation network that everybody wants and everyone deserves. And this is District 7 Supervisor Mirna Melgar. We want to make sure that San Francisco 
comes back from this pandemic and public transit is the way. So let's fund it. Let's fund it adequately. Let's pave the way for our future and our children's future by having a muni system that is fair, that is affordable, and that is open to all. It seems like we're always talking about how the city's transportation agency is short on money. I talked about that with Kat Carter. She runs the San Francisco Transit Riders, a small nonprofit that advocates for better public transportation. I do think we have a particular city leadership right now that is interested in supporting Muni. And, you know, I I believe them when they say they support Muni and they want to do it, but they do have a lot of different political calculations to deal with. There's a lot of competing interests. There's, of course, a lot of other very serious issues that the city faces. So I understand they have to sort of balance that. I think a couple things have changed in 2021 versus previous years is one, the pandemic really showed us how Muni is essential, how transit is essential, transit workers are essential, essential workers depend on transit. Our city would not have run, you know, it would have collapsed without having Muni carrying like 100,000 people, even at the worst of the shelter in place. So there's a lot of people that depend on Muni. We know that there is a climate emergency and that transit has to be part of the solution. Where is that funding going to come from? <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> billions of dollars questions. Um, we are working as a very small organization. We can only do so much, but we are in touch with a national coalition of sort of local advocates, a sort of loose coalition that is trying to advocate at the federal level. Um, we do have an opportunity now with our current administration as Joe Biden, known as Amtrak Joe, and with the Secretary of Transportation that he's appointed, they're very interested in making public transit a better funded, more viable thing. We haven't succeeded there as much as we'd like, but there's a lot, move, a lot of movement there. We need federal on board. State level, we're barely involved in that, but there's also sort of promise there of like we need to get better state funding. We could relatively easily, except for political will, <laughs> putting political will aside, we could pretty easily shift highway funding to transit, and that would be huge. Highway funding does not have to go just to highways. It can go to getting people around. So we need funding there. But then on the local level, we really need to look out for ourselves. Muni has had this structural deficit for years. We were looking at addressing it before COVID hit. I was on the Muni Reliability Task Force, and we talked about it there. And we were getting ready to talk about the budget and the funding measure, and then COVID hit and, you know, blew everything out of the water. So, so we're back to that conversation, but now in the context of COVID, which has shown us again, like how important transit is and how important, you know, reliable, resilient funding is. So next year, uh, we're looking at Prop K reauthorization. Prop K is the half cent sales tax. So this is an addition, this is not a new tax. It's an existing tax, but talking about how it's going to be reauthorized, what the new spending plan is going to be. And we're engaged in that process with the SFCTA to talk about what should those funds go to. Those funds can go to great things like transit signal priority. It costs a million dollars to re-signalize an intersection. And we need to do that in so many places so that trains can go through, so buses can go through um, and not stop. That's a huge bottleneck for our reliability is how little priority our vehicles get on the street compared to cars. That funding can do that. It can do uh, like muni yards and, and that sort of infrastructure, not the stuff that people get really excited about, but which is absolutely essential for, for us to move forward. Then other measures that have been talked about is maybe a general obligation bond, which I don't know a lot about, honestly, right now. <laughs> and another one that's been kicked around is a transit benefit district, which I think is actually a really cool way of, of doing it, of saying, you know, if you live near robust transit um, and you want transit to serve your, your home, your business, whatever, that you pay into a sort of transit benefit district and that can be a long-term sustainable funding that's more equitably distributed than like a sales tax. Which brings us to Transit Month. 
Kat says it's about the conversations that it opens up. What are our priorities for public transportation in San Francisco? How should they be funded? When I talk to people who are not involved in city politics or in transit, I come up with some of those statistics like 700,000 daily rides and only you know less than 1% of greenhouse gases or the number of riders on the Geary Boulevard corridor is greater, like the pre-pandemic weekday average is greater than Caltrain's weekday average ridership. That Muni serves more than 50% of the riders of the whole Bay Area. So it's like some of these things, people don't understand the numbers and the magnitude. If they don't ride transit themselves, they don't understand how many people are depending on it and how essential it is um, if they only ride it occasionally. And then I've talked to people who totally get it that like, oh, I use BART to come in to a concert or to a rally or to an event. I only use it once or twice a year, but I want to make sure that it's there and usable when I do use it. So you really have to meet people where they are. So Transit Month is just a way, again, it's a way to uplift and center the conversation around transit. And hopefully it appears as a blip to people that aren't engaged and they can start thinking about it. It takes a while to get people from starting to think about it to starting to take action, but we have to start somewhere. And that was a big, you know, I mean, we have bike to work day and we have walk to work day and walk and roll to school and all those great things. We can't do transit to work day because there's not enough transit to serve everybody to get on the bus. You know, we can't, so we have to spread it out over a week or a month and make it like it can't just be about getting everybody on the bus all at once because there's no room. <laughs> okay. That puts things in perspective. Yikes. I know that one of the messages from today is transit is clean, transit is safe. Are you worried at all about people coming at you with a lot of messages about how transit is not clean, transit is not safe, their experience was terrible? Like, it's always like this when I ride Muni. It's always like this when I ride BART. Like, someone today was saying, this is the best smelling bus I've ever been on. And I was like, that's not an endorsement, I don't think. (laughs) So, you know, what do you do with that? I think those are very valid. I mean, there are people that have had horrible experiences on transit and have very valid safety concerns, and I don't want to minimize that at all. And that's one of the reasons we're having this conversation as part of Transit Month with Kim Burris, the director of safety and security at SFMTA. I think that for the most part, transit is safe and clean. It can always be safer and cleaner. And, and we want people to join in the discussion of what that means to them and how can we, how can we get there. The transit riders are looking to pique your interest in getting back on the bus in a number of ways. There will be prizes and perks, from preloaded clipper cards to tickets to the new show at Club Fugazi to Warriors March. And not just for most rides taken this month, because apparently there's an avid rider who can't be beat on that front. They're also hosting events and looking for your stories and your pictures. And they want you to nominate transit heroes, be they riders or operators or otherwise. But as Kat said, it's about the conversation. And Muni is looking for your input, too, as it figures out how to come out of the pandemic. They're looking for input to figure out how to come out of this pandemic. But before we get to how you can do that, I want you to hear one more time from Jeff Tumlin at the SFMTA, because it turns out that the rapid emergency changes that Muni has made throughout the pandemic have come at a cost. I do see that the agency is trying to bring back, you know, the transit that people need as reliably as possible, but making those changes is tricky. And I saw this blog post on the SFMTA website that lays out what the process is like normally for making service changes. It is seven steps long. (laughs) I mean, it takes at least six months. And then that was dramatically compressed during the pandemic because, you know, temporary service changes can bypass the MTA board and still get implemented. But that also means on the other side that there are some issues, like sometimes there are problems with actually executing those lines or writers express concerns. Honestly, trying to change service 
sounds like a headache either way. And the promise from the SFMTA is that going forward, you'll try to balance the goal of acting decisively with the realities of the operational processes and the needs of customers who rely on Muni. How do you balance those things? Because it sounds like that's always the balancing act you need to kind of engage in. Well, frankly, we're balancing them by overworking our staff. Oh. And this is actually one of the greatest worries that I have as an executive director is processes that normally take really 18 months and you only do once a decade. We have done seven times in the last 18 months Mm -hmm. and executed on them seven times. So, I mean, can I just cut in real quick? Because I do want to know where this is going. But like, I I think that there's an inclination sometimes from people to look at that and say, great, you cut red tape. Sounds like that's not what happened. (laughs) Well, in fact, there was a lot of red tape cutting. The mayor's emergency declaration gave us the ability to pivot quickly in a way that is usually impossible for government agencies. Without the mayor's declaration, we would be stumbling along, trying to run a crappy version of our 2019 plan that was really focused on delivering people to the financial district where no one wanted to go. Instead, we rebuilt the system based upon, you know, hourly data in order to eke the best that we could out of the system and very importantly, accommodate social distance. Um, which was a big part of our early objectives in redesigning the system, both to allocate the service where it was needed, but to also dramatically improve reliability. We knew that an unreliable system was not only going to be terrible service, but also potentially be a health hazard. So abandoning all of our bus schedules on our high-frequency lines and switching to headway management where we simply asked our operators to space themselves out evenly as a critical component of the public health response. That ended up being one of the wisest things that we did during the pandemic. Similarly, completely rebuilding the rail system, taking lines out of the subway like the J were absolutely essential for us to be able to deliver speed, reliability, and capacity in the subway in order to deal with social distance um, Mm -hmm. and to deliver service where it was most needed. We've been very surprised by just how successful those two dramatic changes ended up um, becoming. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you when you were about to talk about how this has been a burden on staff. Did you want to say more about that? <laughs> well, we normally don't talk enough about the actual burdens on individual public servants and what is required at the staff level in order to deliver essential service to the public. Um, One of the things that I am most proud of and that makes me work 80 to 90 hour weeks every week for months on end is that all the staff of this entire agency know that their work is essential for the functioning of the city and to serve people who have the greatest needs during a compounded set of crises. So our people showed up and put in the hours and made it work. And I'm incredibly proud of them, but I also need to recognize the emotional cost that that has had on my people. Our folks are exhausted. Mm. And the resources that I would normally have as an employer for helping to 
take care of my people, so many of those resources are now gone. But the system is going to come back, even if not to 100% right away. And you do have a say in how exactly it's going to do that. So right now, we are frantically hiring and training new operators, new mechanics, new machinists, in order to be able to do our next round of service expansion, which we're targeting for February uh, this winter. So what we're asking the public for help on is once we have new operators and mechanics available, how should we allocate that service? And so we're engaged in looking at three different options for what will be about 85% of the service hours we had compared to 2019. Mm -hmm. um, so all the options have the same amount of service in each neighborhood, but they allocate that service in somewhat different ways. So the question is, for example, in a neighborhood like the Richmond or the Western Edition, to what degree should we focus on greater frequency, speed, and reliability on our main lines, like the 5 Fulton and the 38 Geary and the 1 California and the 7 Hate, versus instead restoring the remaining lines that are still not in service, like the 21 Hayes, the 2 Clement, and the 3 Jackson. And right now, we don't have a favorite. There are advantages and disadvantages to all three of the scenarios. You know, we developed those scenarios because each one is a reasonable option. We can afford it, it works, and it strikes the balance between having service one to two blocks from your front door that may be a little slower and less frequent versus having service two to three blocks from your front door, but having it be more frequent and more reliable. Mm -hmm. um, and different people are going to strike that balance in different ways. So we want to hear from all types of people. We want to hear from seniors and people with disabilities. We want to hear from children. We want to hear from women who may be uncomfortable coming home on Muni late at night. We want to hear from our Asian and Pacific Islander uh, writers about issues of security and how that impacts their preferences about how our service is allocated. Um, and so we're conducting the outreach in five different languages. We're doing some targeted outreach to particular communities that we know will be impacted by this choice so that we can hear from all types of people and provide a strong recommendation about how to strike that balance with our board. And at the same time, once we've done the work for our winter service expansion, we then want to engage the public again on, okay, if we can find the resources to get to 100% or better yet, 110% of where we were pre-COVID, how should we allocate that service? And mm -hmm. we expect we'll have a little bit more time for those questions um, that we'll be able to start asking starting, you know, either later this fall or most, most likely um, starting this winter. For those uh, three plans that are under consideration in November, how can people learn more about them and make themselves heard? Please go to sfmta.com slash 2022network, 2022network. And uh, there you'll find a website that has a lot of explanation. There's a lot of words because we're going into all kinds of good nerdy complexity. Mm -hmm. uh, and we evaluate the advantages and disadvantages of each of those options. You'll also find a survey in five different languages. Please take the survey. Um, give us feedback. And you're always welcome to provide us with any other additional input by emailing tellmuni at sfmta.com. 
Transit Month continues through September, and it concludes on October 1st with the Bay Area Rider First Awards Party. You can find the details at sftransitriders.org slash transitmonth. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is produced at KSFP LP 102.5 FM in San Francisco. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Our team includes producer and contributor Mel Baker and assistant producer Liana Wilcox. KSFP is a project of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Find our reporting at sfpublicpress.org. Thanks for listening.